You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Every quarter at Real Wealth, I do a housing update, and I just did the one for Q3, and we got a ton of questions. So our team asked me to do an Ask Kathy segment here on The Real Wealth Show. So here it is, me answering the questions from my recent webinar. And if you want to see that webinar, you can go to realwealth.com. All right. So the first question is actually not from the webinar. It's from my daughter. And her question was, my boyfriend just bought a Tesla. He got a 2% loan because he's in the military. Should he pay that off right away? And my answer was, why? It's a 2% loan. If the car cost, I don't know, $50,000 and you had $50,000 to pay off that 2% loan, well, now you have a paid off car and that's great. You have no payment. However, what if you took that $50,000 that you would use to pay off the loan and instead invested it in just say treasuries at 5%, you would be getting 3% more on your money than just using it to pay off a 2% loan because you're getting 5%. But what if you could get 10%, a 10% return, say on an investment property or as a note holder, then you're making 8% on your money instead of zero. And finally, there might be some syndications or investments that can get you to 15 to 20%. And in that case, do that instead of, again, paying off the loan. So it always depends on the cost of debt, and if you can do better elsewhere, then do that. And if you are in the military and can get a veteran loan or some kind of uh, great low-cost loan on a car or on a house, by all means, do it, especially if you can make money on that investment. So for example, again, with my daughter's boyfriend, he bought the Tesla and it's definitely not a cheap car, not the most expensive, but not cheap. So he's going to make that payment, the $700 a month payment, by driving Uber. And that wouldn't take too many days of driving to pay that off. And then the rest of the time, the car is essentially free because you've made that payment. So same thing, if you can get a low cost loan on a car, you could put it in a rental pool, you could drive Uber. If you're going to work anyway, you could just take people with you um, with Uber. So anyway, it just depends on the cost of money. All right, so let's go to the questions from the webinar. And one was, what about investing in Austin? Such a great question, and my goodness, I wish I had. <laughs> uh, we've been looking at Austin for over a decade, probably two decades. We knew what was happening there. We knew there was tremendous growth, and it was uh, a tech hub, and so many Californians were moving there. Even the tagline for Austin is, keep Austin weird, which is very Californian. So there's hills, there's a lot of outdoor activities, healthy food. Anyway, we knew that a lot of Californians were moving there and that prices would eventually go up. But we also didn't um, really ever think we could get good cash flow there, not like we could get in Dallas or Houston or San Antonio. So we didn't choose Austin simply because the cash flow wasn't as good in other markets, but we've seen really high growth in those other markets as well. Again, Dallas has been on a tear for 20 years. You could get enormous growth there and cash flow. So that's just why we focused on Dallas. We now have a great team in San Antonio. These are areas that are growing. It's not that I don't like Austin. I love Austin. We just thought the cash flow was better elsewhere, but that the appreciation was just as good anywhere. 
It's not totally true. Uh, appreciation in Austin has been phenomenal, but it has been also in Dallas. So uh, anyway, we think that San Antonio is going to be a part of all that growth as well. And uh, there's just lots of opportunity to invest in Texas in general. We just felt like, hey, we're going to go where we can get both, both cash flow and appreciation. Okay, it's pretty tough to get cash flow in Austin. And it is one of the cities that's slowing down because they had such tremendous rent growth and price growth. They may have hit their peak for a time being. There's a lot of inventory. Uh, prices are stabilizing or even coming down. So we're not seeing that in the, the markets that we're in in Dallas or in Florida. We're actually seeing prices go up. So anyway, lots of invest investment in Austin. I do regret not buying there in 2005 when we were looking at it, because I'm sure we would have oh, 5X'd our money there. If not, I don't know, much more if you look at cash on cash return. So great market, great for Californians looking for a place similar to California that's in Texas. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, if you could find a deal and make it work, why not? We just don't have a team there. All right. Next question was, what are markets where we can buy new builds under $250,000? It's just amazing what's happened over the life that, uh, it's amazing what has happened uh, over the last 20 years of owning real wealth. We would have said, oh my gosh, never buy a new home over 250. We were buying new homes in Dallas for 125,000. I wouldn't even consider something more, um, not near 200,000, but times have changed. And it's really hard to find a property under $250,000 uh, new. But we're still finding some in the North Dallas area, in parts of Florida, in uh, you know, some of the more affordable markets, Birmingham. Uh, but again, getting harder and harder to do. Rich and I just closed on a duplex that I believe was around $450. So per unit, that's under $250. Uh, it appraised for much more, and we got that four and three quarter percent rate. So, if you want to find out which companies that uh, Real Wealth works with have properties under 250, just go to realwealth.com, speak with one of our investment counselors, and they'll point you in the right direction. It changes all the time because things sell out. But um, the next question was, how do you get that four and three quarter percent rate? And we're just super lucky. We have a team in San Antonio that is providing new new homes, duplexes, brand new fourplexes. And they had a relationship with a bank that was willing to um, get a chunk of payment upfront from the builder in order to provide that low interest rate. So we have just launched this new team, San Antonio. You can check it out. It's uh, one of our top investment counselors is living there and, and knows the area well. Uh, we just think there's tremendous potential there, especially at that kind of interest rate. We introduced this bank to other builders within our network, and they've been able to make that work as well. That's why we were able to close in Florida at that rate. Same bank. Um, again, the builder has to pay for the difference, but they're willing to if they can't move inventory at these high rates. That's the nice thing about working with builders is they're in the business of selling real estate. They can't hold it. They've usually got uh, bank loans, construction loans, they have to get out of those loans because every month that they hold the loans, they're losing money. So they'd rather, instead of paying interest on the loans, just pay you, you know, pay down that rate so that you'll buy. And that's what we did. The rents have actually come in higher than 
projected. And uh, as I said, the appraisal came in higher as well. So you can find that out at realwealth.com. You could click on the Jacksonville tab, also San Antonio. And I think there's some other builders working with them as well. But again, you can just talk to an investment counselor at Real Wealth and they'll help you out. Our investment counselors all invest in uh, with the teams that we work with. So they know them well. They get to hear feedback from our members. It's not always perfect. Real estate has its issues, right? It's people related. It's people living in your properties. Not everything is perfect, but the investment counselors get the feedback. They know what's going on and they're able to share that with you um, to help you make a decision of who you want to invest with. Okay. What's the next question? What would be the best market if you were just starting out and it was your first investment out of state? Woo. Okay. Um, I'm just going to come back to this topic I've been uh, discussing, which is new builds. Rich and I started investing in 2004 and it might've been 2003, but we were uh, buying our first investment property in Dallas. And at the time, it just made sense to me that oh, I'm buying this thing out of state. Property management was terrible back then. You would just find kind of a mom and pop realtor that managed their own properties and would manage other people. They weren't like super professional back then. There were some that were, but they didn't really have the systems that property managers have today. So we just thought, given that, let's just buy a new home. That'll have less issues. Uh, there'll be a one-year warranty, which is really nice. Uh, you know, we, you can negotiate with the builder for certain things. We were able to get discounts. So our first probably 12 or 14 properties were brand new for that reason. And I would say if you're starting out, that's a great way to go because there's so much to learn in your first investment property. You're, you're learning how to get an investor loan. You're, you're learning how to work with a property manager out of state who's managing your property that you can't see. Uh, you're having to deal with renovate, not renovations, but repairs. So why not have fewer of those when you're just starting out so that you can get used to the process of working with an out-of-state property manager? Um, you know, just all the rules and all the differences between your state and the other state. So new to me is a great way to get started. And honestly, the new builds today are kind of a better deal, like I said, because especially in Florida, new builds have lower insurance rates. And, um, and that's because they kind of are built to different standards and can handle climate change. They can handle, handle the storms better than an older home. So insurance companies feel more protected and you have better insurance rates. So why not? Um, if, if you want to buy an older home, get built in equity, do the renovations and so forth, that is so hard to do from a distance. It can be done. But if you're busy and you've got a full-time job and you've got a family and you're trying to find time to work out and maybe have a vacation now and then and so forth, make it easy. Just buy a new house. <laughs> that is my suggestion there. And, and it's, in my opinion, the best deals that are out there right now. Thoughts on the Charlotte market. Charlotte is a boom town as well. Uh, Jacksonville, Tampa, really kind of all of Florida, uh, you know, certainly Dallas, San Antonio. These are all boom towns. Charlotte uh, prices have gone up quite a bit, so the cash flow is not as good, but it is a really great market. So um, yeah, if you can find a deal that makes sense and really understand why you're buying it 
It won't be for cash flow today. It's not going to be the highest cash flow. But if you're buying for the long term, for long term growth, Charlotte is a great, great market. It's a, a banking city. It's kind of a sister city, I guess you could say, to Atlanta for people who feel like Atlanta is too expensive or too busy. They go to Charlotte and and for uh, East Coasters who want to go to Florida but find it's too hot, they they go back up to Charlotte. So really great, great city, just less cash flow um, than it used to have. When we first started investing there, it was 2005 and stuff was so cheap, but that has changed as it's become more of a world-class city. So um, less cash flow, but higher chance of appreciation at this point and growth. Uh, let's see. Sun, let's see. Hmm. Is doing a two-year lease versus one year uh, better for turnover costs? Absolutely. Uh, if you don't, a turnover cost, by the way, if you're not sure what that is, is when a tenant moves out, you've got to fix the place back up for a new tenant. And that could be new carpet, um, new paint. I mean, it just depends on how much wear and tear there was on that property. So yeah, if you can get someone there for two years, it's going to cost you less in the long run, even if you're not raising the rents very much. That's often how you can get that two-year lease is say, we're not going to raise the rents that second year, or it's going to be very minimal. Um, we've had tenants, oh gosh, in some properties for five to eight years. And boy, you save a lot of money that way. Now you do need to have your property manager go in, inspect, make sure that things are being taken care of. And, and that um, if there's any renovations that need to be done, they're done so that you don't end up with a house that's got, I don't know, issues, um, mold or something. So you want to make sure that your property manager is inspecting. But yeah, get a two-year lease if you can. It will definitely cut down your costs. Um, next question, how sacred is the 1% rule? I had to rewrite my book because of this rule. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what the 1% rule is, it basically means that if you buy a $100,000 property, the rents will be about $1,000 a month. That's 1%. It's um, not totally accurate in terms of what kind of return you can get because each city has different property taxes, different insurance. So you really want to look at overall costs uh, because if it's a the rents are high, but property taxes are really high, or you might be better off in a place where the rents aren't at the 1% rule, but property taxes are lower. No matter what, it's hard to get that. It used to be pretty easy. I had to rewrite my book to say, forget about it. It's too hard to do. With that said, we have our single family rental fund and we're, we're over shooting that. We're getting much better than the 1% rule because we're raising cash for our fund. We're raising up to $20 million for that fund. And then we've got the cash to go and buy deals very quickly. Um, so if we can close quickly, we can get better deals. We're getting ridiculous deals. It's actually ending up costing us less to renovate those than it would have a year ago because costs are coming down a bit um, with inflation. So we're actually really overshooting that 1% rule on our fund. But that's really hard to do if you're doing it on your own or, or not doing it on your own. If you're hiring somebody out of state to do that for you, you're going to have to pay them a fee. Just my partner on the fund lives there, has a property management company there. Uh, so, you know, it, she, it's easy for her to, to make that happen. So I would say in general, it's really hard to hit that 1%. Uh, and really these days with appreciation, with inflation kind of probably the way things are going to be for some time. Um, you know, buy for the long term. Cash flow is great, but long term wealth is even better. So 
I've done enough cash flow markets, Cleveland. I, I do like Cleveland, but let's say Detroit. Let's pick on Detroit for a minute. Uh, I, you know, if, if rents aren't going up that much and the value of the property is not going up that much, but it's cash flowing decent, what happens? Let, let's just say it's cash flowing $500 a month. Okay, so that's $6,000 a year. What happens if you need a major renovation on that property? Your, your cash flow is wiped out. We had a, a property in um, in Ohio that, oh gosh, we paid $50,000 for back in 2012 or something. It's probably worth $120,000 today. It's appreciated pretty well. But we ended up paying about $24,000 on plumbing. Um, all the, the trees and the weeds were growing into the to the pipes and it just was a big mess. So that wiped out years of cash flow on that uh, property. So I would rather have a newer property in an area that appreciates so that if you have those kind of CapEx expenses, it doesn't hurt so much. All right, so um, let's see, next question. Always maintain a home production plan for my properties. They save me a ton of money. That's so funny. Um, home warranties. Some people love them. Some people hate them. I can tell you my daughter, my oldest daughter loves her home warranty. Uh, I talked her into buying a house when she was 24, her first home. And she was really freaked out about that. She was like, mom, I'm too young, but it ended up being a really great investment for her. And she's glad she did it. But the way that she kind of got through the fear of that was getting a home warranty. It actually came with the purchase and she used it. So many people don't actually use them, but she ended up using it for everything. She got new appliances. She got things fixed. She had her plumbing fixed. If I had had a home warranty on that property, I just told you about in, um, I think it was in Ohio, maybe that would have been covered. So home warranties are fa fabulous. Make sure you've got a good one. We should probably do a show, a real well show on home warranties. And I'll interview my daughter because she's been uh, so active in using those. So great, great advice. That wasn't a question so much as a statement from that webinar. Get a home warranty. Okay, any advice for people with more than 10 properties uh, for mortgages? So in, in case you didn't know, conventional loans are cheaper than um, non-conventional. That's because they're backed by the U.S. government and Fannie and Freddie. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And because of that, um, yeah, again, the rates are lower, but you're only allowed to have 10 loans. You can have your primary residence and then nine investor loans. If you're married and you can qualify for the property separately from your spouse, you can get up to 20 properties. But what happens after that? Well, there, there are other loans, kind of commercial-like loans, DSCR loans that look at the rent uh, as how they qualify you for that loan. They are more expensive for sure. But if you're looking for to buy more properties than, than 10 or 20 with your spouse, that's what you got. That's, that's what you're going to be getting. We have a lot of members who do it. I, I've had different uh, lenders on to talk about it. If you go to Real Wealth, you'll find a resources list of lenders who do that. Just know that it's going to be more expensive. So you need to have a really good deal to make those numbers work these days. Okay, well, my 20 minutes is up. These are the questions for Ask Kathy from the webinar. If you want to see my housing forecast, again, just go to realwealth.com, click on the Learn tab, and, and you'll see all the past webinars, including my housing forecast for the third quarter of 2024. 
All right. Well, thanks for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.